Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Okay, and welcome to the Live Life Liberated podcast. My name is Derek Myron, and I'll be your host today. And in studio today, I have a client and friend, Mr. Jimmy Page. Hey, Derek, thanks for having me. Thank you, Jimmy, for agreeing to be on the podcast today. And so today's topic is we're going to be talking about ultra high net worth individuals and planning and what kind of sophisticated wealth management team do those individuals need and those professionals who serve them would be the appropriate lean audience for today's podcast. So Jimmy, thank you for being a part of the podcast today. Would you please share a little bit about yourself, your educational background, background, professional background and family? Yeah, I would love to. And um, many thanks again for having me here today, Derek. So my name is Jimmy Page. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Did my my undergrad college uh, with a marketing degree, bachelor's at Penn State University. I moved out here to San Diego in 2009, right after I graduated and uh, pretty quickly got into a master's program at San Diego State, where I finished an MBA also with a concentration in marketing. You know, that led to a number of corporate marketing jobs that I won't get into the details of. And then from there, I went into starting my own digital marketing agency uh, when I was about 26 years old in 2014. Started that really just as my own consulting practice, you know, very small, um, myself, no employees, really advising clients for the most part, uh, which turned into more of an agency fairly quickly. full-time job right around that time and launched into the full agency that I managed for uh, about nine years until I sold it uh, at the end of 2021. On the family side, I I met my current wife in college at Penn State. She moved out here with me. She had a great career, mostly in HR before, uh, before giving that up to have our children. I've got two sets of twins. So I've got five-year-olds, Lacey and Mackenzie, and uh, just a year and a half ago now, about, we had our second set of twins, uh, still babies, Emily and Chloe. So we've got a great family. We've got two golden retrievers, and uh, yeah, we live here in San Diego still in, in Rancho Santa Fe, having a great life. Nice. You've got a very full house there. Five five women and you and two dogs. Very full. I uh, I mostly spend my time trying to hide in the corner in my bedroom, in my lounge chair. Yeah, a uh, a cute story. <laughs> I, I, Jimmy and I ran into each other, and uh, I hadn't seen his older set of twins, and they were four years old going to their yoga class. And they said uh, they've got both arms around the yoga mat. The yoga mat was as big as they were, and uh, just man, super cute kids. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jimmy. You and I got introduced to each other in 2019 and um, by a mutual um, individual. And um, what was the impetus for taking that meeting? Why why did uh, you agree to meet with us and begin exploring a relationship? Yeah. So in 2019, I I was starting to have designs on some kind of an exit. I think, you know, in 2016, 17, 18, the way that the M&A environment was for my industry, 
I, I was sort of in a mentality that I probably wouldn't get to a spot where I felt like exiting the business and selling it versus just figuring out a way to step out of it a bit myself and and let it cash flow for the rest of time. I, I kind of didn't see a route for M&A. In 2019, the environment had changed a bit and you know, you're starting to see really strong multiples in my industry, a lot of deal volume and just happenstance. But I still wasn't really at a place there where I was ready to go to process or, or thinking in any serious way about selling. I had a really great buyer and, and a pretty good deal come to me that year. And I didn't have any on the personal side of a, of a potential transaction. I really didn't have anything in place. And so um, you know, a friend of mine who connected me to Derek was having that conversation with me also in the wealth management space. And and he definitely perked my ears up on some things that I should be thinking about that I hadn't been thinking about. Um, and, and in specific, the tax implications of a transaction. And so, you know, I was looking at potentially doing this deal within the calendar year of 2019. And so I got linked up with Derek that way. And I ended up not doing that deal. It didn't close by the end of the year. But you know, I had put a lot of things in place because I did start working with Censure at that point that when I did go to process two years later were extremely valuable for me. And because of the timeline, because I sort of had that that bulk in 2019, and we sort of rushed to get a lot of things in place, which isn't really the right way to do it. Uh, fortunately, I had a lot of these things in place on a great timeline for, you know, what ended up happening to me two years later in in 2021, which is, was the exit that I had. Yeah. And Jimmy, how many, I mean, your, your agency grew very quickly. What was the headcount at the end the top headcount? Yeah. So we had about, I want to say 70 employees when it transacted W2 employees, mostly still here in San Diego, but we had gone remote for COVID and had started really recruiting heavily in other States in the United States. And then we probably had about 30 employees that were full-time equivalent if you added all of the variable staff and labor that we were utilizing in different places throughout the United States as well. So, you know, it did grow quickly. And by the time we exited, we had a pretty significant staff. Yeah. So congratulations. I mean, what a great American success story. Fantastic (laughs) for you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So we typically tell clients, just like Jimmy said, that uh, we put people in this three categories, this gold, silver, and bronze, that that two years prior to letter of intent is ideal to get this planning in place. And oftentimes we do meet business owners. They're like, hey, I've got an LOI. I haven't signed it yet, but I have one. And what should we do? And um, I mean, that kind of that's kind of how, you know, a strategic approach to you, correct? And Yep. And you weren't thinking about it. you were thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it back to a lifestyle business where I'm gonna clip coupons until this this deal showed up, correct? Yeah, that's pretty much the case. I was I had a plan in place to transition myself out of the business and was already working on that. And you know, felt like I had a really strong second in command that could take over my role. Um, and I, I think it it does tend to happen that way for a lot of great businesses. Unless you're really savvy in the M&A environment or have a planned exit early in the the history of the business, um, I think a lot of times people aren't thinking about selling and it comes their way quickly. 
and and you know if you if you're cash flowing seven figures in your business and and you're not using all of that i i think it, it pays to get some basic knowledge on what do exits look like in your environment in your industry and and you know getting some of the things in place that could save you tremendous amounts of money at, at any point right even if you're thinking like maybe 5 or 10 years down the line i would i would it would make sense for me to sell this maybe financially at that point i could retire and wouldn't even have to let the business continue operating you know really far in the future it still makes sense to start like investing some in getting the right things in place from a tax standpoint yeah i think it it i mean you're <clears throat> spoken like a true professional uh-huh. <laughs> that the, it's exactly right it's getting because you need time for some of these things to get set up and mature and i mean in your case then COVID happened and it put that time in between but that gold period that the two years plus before letter of intent all planning strategies are available and then from the date that you sign that letter of intent till the december 31st following the transaction date is the silver period and uh then we the bronze period is from the january 1st to sign those corporate tax returns there's not a lot of that you're on the podium but you're looking up and going gosh why didn't i start earlier so you you were fortunate that you've got this early offer we started putting things in place what was the um, what was your biggest learning in starting to put this stuff in place like what what did you what was the big learning around that yeah i mean one of them and sort of also just to put more of a point on what you just said is that like the government the government really cares that you're not doing these things specifically to avoid taxes for a specific deal so I didn't know that. I didn't know it at all. There's a lot of intricacy to it, but even at a, a high level, what I just said, I had never heard before until I started working with Centura and, and Derek here. So that's what it's all about, right? It's it's like you want to have really smart planning, both on the estate side and tax side for your business and personal. And you just want to have that structurally in place so that you know, there can't ever be someone pointing fingers at you saying you did this to avoid taxes in a in a specific way. Um, you want a good process in place and a really good structure. And there's a, you know, a semi-significant investment to be made in doing that. It's not something that you just fill out some forms and get this stuff in place. It's complicated. And I would say that's a second learning. Like it's not, I think a lot of people that I know that are really smart entrepreneurs that have businesses that are valued in the nine nine figures type range still aren't aren't aware of a lot of what's out there and think that they can kind of do this themselves or that their CPA and lawyer that are in place for the operating side of their business or for their exits are going to take care of those kinds of things and don't assume that would would be a big learning and and some advice that I would give like Get out there, you know, talk to Derek and company, talk to other people that have really creative tax strategies and a lot of experience with them and see what's out there because you you can't do this yourself and you probably don't have the specialized team that can do it in an optimal way for you. And so those are definitely some of the things that you know I learned in the process. That's really good advice. Um, 
I, oftentimes when we're interviewing clients and we get their facts, assumptions, and goals, and we get the short list of the transactions that we should model, the next step in the process is interviewing their professional roster. And something that Jimmy just said is 100% accurate. Sometimes when we interview those folks, often, not sometimes, most often, they the existing the incumbents, whether it be the uh, lawyer or the attorney or the CPA, the incumbents don't have the experience in doing these transactions. So although they have a lot of trust and confidence in what they've been doing for the client, they don't have experience in doing the, the income tax planning strategies. And so oftentimes that team needs to be augmented to make certain that you have the, because you need the right M&A counsel, legal M&A banker, but you need the right CPA group the right estate planning law firm plus financial advisor. So there's there's at least five people on the team, if not more. Yeah, and they all need to be comfortable working together and comfortable on the same kinds of strategies, right? And you know, we could do a whole podcast on what that means in detail, but it pays to find a team that has worked together on income tax strategies hopefully many times in the past and really can show you like these are these are some of the strategies we've put in place and the impact on people like you um because it's easy to get into a situation where you're your wealth manager or financial planner and and lawyer have a plan and a CPA is not comfortable with it and you can't find a CPA that's comfortable with it in my experience CPA I think a lot of people think the CPA is like who's going to put this type of strategy together. And I'm sure there are really good strategic CPA firms out there, but I have never heard of one, to be perfectly honest. And so, you know, you don't want to be thinking that the CPA is going to be driving strategy and that the the lawyer and the financial planners are going to be takers of that, right? It really does need to be a multi-pronged approach. And that team has to be very comfortable with each other. And, you know, I I I think I did well there and and very much at the quarterbacking of of Derek, but I, I had learning experiences in there that I won't get into in detail. Um and and it's really important to make sure like not only are people is that whole team comfortable with the same types of strategies and approaches, but also like that they're not going to be fighting with each other. There aren't going to be sort of egos and hubris going on in the process or sort of fighting for who's going to get pieces of work and contracted work that could be done by, by a lawyer or a CPA, right? Those kinds of things. So um, you want to make sure that that team works well together and, and feels comfortable with each other. Collaboration is, is huge. And, and you're right. Uh, oftentimes as those deals go together too, so much is changing. And so they have to be responsive and collaborative because it's painful if it's not. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, things move fast when you get into uh, a process or a deal environment and, uh, and there are, you know, potentially huge amounts of money at stake. So uh, I can be really frustrating when it feels like someone's not, not responsive or not moving quick enough. And, and there are 10 people and many different parties like waiting for information and those kinds of things. So you know, you gotta, you gotta feel confident in that team and you don't want to be figuring all that out 
while you're also trying to go through either a banking process or react to an offer that came to you that in itself is very time intensive and complex and so you you want that team on the personal tax planning side in place way before you get there sage advice let's talk about risk management in putting together these strategies they're not risk free so from a risk management standpoint did you feel well advised that the people that were putting this together were were disclosing all all the risks fully disclosing everything that they knew about the transactions that you felt well advised tell talk to us about risk management as you went through the process yeah sure i mean there's going to be a spectrum of risk from paying every dime of taxes with nothing in place to you know much more aggressive strategies and of course you want to feel safe right you want to feel like the professionals that have licenses in place are are signing their name on the dotted line and and you know aren't doing things that are going to put you like at actual legal risk of course and then i think it's really important to make sure that as i said before you're looking at the history of these strategies right and really understanding like as a cpa if you are comfortable with this like have you defended these strategies in the past have you been successful what are the chances that i think my my tax bill is going to be x and it ends up being 2x and and also like a lot of professional fees to defend an audit that's potentially not defensible right it's really important to understand those things and i think just like anything else all you can know is the history right and of course the current the current statutes and legal environment within which you're you're employing some of these strategies but most importantly what has happened in the past when these things have been put in place for other people and for me that that was the way i handled risk management <clears throat> excuse me got a little bit of a cold today so i felt very comfortable with that i i would definitely give kudos to derek for helping me assemble the right team and and really having a lot of that knowledge himself on how these things have been done before and who are the right people to work with on different things because the truth is like there are a lot of different strategies that you can put in place here and there will be specialized accountants and specialized lawyers that have more experience with them and by experience, I don't mean like how to draft contracts or how to file tax returns, but you know, having actually, in some cases, really defended these things and, and also really just having the right individuals at these firms that have worked on those things is, is really important. It's not like BDO has experience doing this and you get some guy that's been working there for two years and has never you know, actually worked on these things. Um, you want to make sure that the individuals have that background. I think that's well said. I think the other thing <clears throat> is that that the planning team is agnostic about the solutions, that not everything looks like a nail because I have a hammer, that you we get the solution set that really is trying to accomplish your goals. And um, as me doing this, a full-time practitioner of this, nobody's plan, you know, oftentimes I hear clients tell me, well, tell me what you're going to do. Um, you've done it so many times before. I mean, these plans are very different for each individual client and they could have the exact same facts and assumptions, but slightly different goals. And the solution set is far different. Would you agree? I know you haven't seen lots of plans, but 
you've been through it for a number of years. What what are your comments around that? Yeah, I know that to be true. And I know it to be true from many people I know that have, have also had exits. And, you know, if you're if you're saying like like liquidity is a huge thing, right? And if you're saying I'm I have another job, another company, whatever that is going to cover all my cash flow needs, and I can take a very long-term view of returns. And ultimately, estate planning and passing max wealth to my kids is what's most important. That's a lot different than you know someone who's in my situation where my number one goal is like, I don't want to have to work again. Not to say that I won't in any capacity, but I was selling my only uh, means of cash flow. And you know I, I needed to produce cash flow as well as wealth for me. Um, and that isn't necessarily typical, right? In, in my experience, I've a lot of people that are really successful entrepreneurs that are selling businesses maybe already have other businesses or have plans to start other businesses right away and and they don't they're not looking for cash flow at all right and so there's just a there's a huge spectrum of what might achieve the goals for that person and it is absolutely it's it's different because of the business structures it's different because of different ownership structures it's different because of the way that the business is actually going to transact and and hundreds of other factors so it is not one size fits all and i you know in other in interviewing other wealth managers and financial planners people are looking to scale their businesses and they scale their businesses by putting things in boxes at the end of the day and, and that's okay but you need to be aware of that and if you're going to be you know acquiring tens of millions of dollars in uh, in an acquisition that kind of thing is not going to work for you. Yeah. From a planning perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. There is no off the shelf solution from a planning yeah. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said, Jimmy. I, I And I often tell people I, um, that most of our competitors really it, it, it's pay the tax and bring them the money is really that's the majority it's or small fringe things. They, they don't dig into doing uh, in-depth income tax planning and, and we think it really moves the needle for, especially for business owners selling their business. It does. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. Okay. Well, let's pivot the conversation from planning to investment management. And just like you said, is that, hey, I this was the this was the golden goose that was producing the cash flow. And I was going to get my number two in there to produce that cash flow for me. But somebody came in with such a great offer that, gosh. Let's see how I can take that offer and turn that into the cash flow that for to live my life. So I don't have to go back to work if I don't want to. I can stay with the the five women in my life and my house and my two dogs. <laughs> and if I don't want to go do something else again, I don't have to. What uh what's been your biggest learning about the investment environment and investments that you've been exposed to in turning this goose into a cash flow machine? That's a very good question. And I'm, you know, candidly a year and a half into this process. So I'm a complete rookie and I have learned a ton. And I think I will, there's, there's so much when it comes to investing your wealth. Like I probably even Derek is learning a ton still in his career about it. I, I think there's a major psychological aspect to it. Like you, really need to feel comfortable early on, I think, with what's happening with the cash. Very often, I know stories of people that 
uh, it, it's actually really common just not to go with anyone managing your wealth and you get $50 million dropped on you. And because you're making so much effort to succeed with that, you end up losing a huge chunk of it in the first year or two, which is incredibly stressful if if you need that money right in the long term. And even if you don't need it, just losing $20 million because you decided to be aggressive and not get professional help is devastating. And I've, I've known some people that have been in that situation and it's really hard. You know, I think number one, like what I've learned is, and what the decision that I made was like, I'm not going to give myself the ability to make those kinds of mistakes in, in the short run, at least, at least until I feel much more comfortable and possibly in the future, I will take over some pieces of that, but yeah, I've gone to professionals like Centura for the vast majority of, of managing my wealth. And that has brought a level of comfort that, you know, just from a, an emotional and mental standpoint is awesome. I'm not sitting awake at night being like, do I know what I'm doing? And is this what I've done the right approach? Right. So just really basic. Yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it. The other part is you, you know, you need to really get mentally comfortable with a split between long-term impact and, and short-term impact and what are your goals and needs. And that's that's complicated and you might not even know right away. So, you know, some of those things and my perspective on it has probably changed a bit in the year and a half I've been doing it. And, you know, you may need to be okay with drawing down some cash for, for plays that are going to return huge returns in a in a low risk sort of pretty comfortable way and in a 10 year period or something like that. But you also want to make sure that you're as active as you can be in getting good returns, right. And not just like riding the stock market, um, dropping all of your money into equities, being a, even being a stock picker has a lot of risk to it. So I think, you got to understand the split between growth and cash flow and returns in the short run and long term. And really getting that dialed and understanding what I even want from that mix has been a process for me and a real learning experience. And, you know, like every American will tell you the way you get rich is real estate. And I think that's probably true to some degree, but it, in a nutshell, it's not, it's not that simple. Right. And, you know, real estate probably over long time horizons is going to generate the best returns and the most growth of wealth for you, but it's very illiquid. And, you know, you need a good portfolio and a good strategy that brings you the right liquidity, the right cash flow, the right long-term growth. And you as the individual or the client uh, with respect to Derek, you have to you have to kind of evolve that over time and really get to a spot where you know what you want and, and have the right direction for your financial planners and planners and wealth managers. Well said. I think the you know the something you said early on there about somebody taking their what they took all these years to build and in the first year to lose 20%, like 20% of the business is gone. I mean, how devastating you need 25% now to make that up. It was in in 2021 you sold at the end of 2021 2022 happened to be the worst year in bonds ever and yeah. equity a bottom quartile result i mean a pretty tough time to go into markets you put a lot of money into alternatives and you started talking a little bit about alternatives what what 
what's your biggest learning? I mean, you came into it knowing, gosh, real estate is a place to probably get good long-term returns and pretty good tax efficient income, but maybe not the yield you really are looking for today. What was your biggest learning and looking at alternatives in this last year and a half? Yeah. So there are a lot of alternatives out there. And three, four years ago, like in a very low interest rate environment, some of these alternatives are a lot less attractive. And and obviously it was more attractive to be playing equities that are, you know, markets growing 30, 40% in a year. There are, especially today, and I think it'll be holding up for the next few years, at least from an interest rate standpoint, high interest rates from the Fed means really good sort of fixed return vehicles like structured equity, private equity um, that's accessible, you know, with huge amounts of cash and very liquid in a lot of cases. You know, there, there are a lot of really good ways to get high returns that are very low risk and very well protected right now. And you don't need to be going and like, I like hard money on the side with, you know, some of my cash, but you can get right now, you can get returns that are pretty similar to hard money with almost the same risk profile and just very liquid in and out, really easy deals to do. So yeah, we've we've found a lot of great opportunities to get really good growth in cash flow, sometimes not in the most tax advantaged ways, but you have the long-term growth side of the portfolio for for those things. And yeah, I mean, I my deal closed on the last day of 2021 and I think a lot of people, probably myself included, would have been pretty aggressive about getting that money to work quickly in you know, more speculative ways, whether that's equity or, or other things. And Derek and team were were pretty adamant with me. Like, we don't want to get this into anything that's risky right now. And I mean, I could have taken a huge hit doing what I may have done myself. And instead, we got through last year with positive growth, which, you know, very few people, I think, that were fully allocated in, in environments prior to that year, uh, you know, very few people did that. So I, you know, for me, like a lot, especially in today's environment, a lot of these, uh, yeah, alternatives, call them private credit, structured, structured credit, yeah. private equity. I, I, I'm looking more at hedge funds and things like that right now. They're really interesting in today's environment. Maybe five years from now, they won't be so much. Um, but when it does make sense to be a little bit more risk off, for people that don't need to be getting 20% returns, they're, yeah, it's a really comfy to be getting 10, 11, 12% pretty much guaranteed. And, uh, and for now, like that's where a lot of my money is and probably will be for, for a while. Thank you for sharing all of that, Jimmy. We are winding short here on time. Why don't you leave uh, the listening audience with uh, your final uh, thought for today? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're in a situation as like, as I am, you know, congratulations. And and I think the best thing I can say to you is like, don't screw it up, right? Don't leave it to yourself. Go find the right people. Use your judgment and your experience to, to do that. Uh, make sure that you have a team in place that you really trust. Really scrutinize them on their history and what they've done. Talk to their clients, get that team in place. Because, you know, I think 
if you do that, the worst that can happen is, you know, you lose some money and afterwards you're thinking maybe I picked the wrong team or maybe this is just the, the environment. But if you go your own route and you don't have that right team in place, you don't want to have the regrets of like, I just didn't do the work I needed to do up front, put in that time. It's, it's easy to think I don't have the time for this. I know how it is. Like you're probably already working 12 hours a day. This is probably from uh, an environment a time invested and money returned standpoint, the best you can do. I mean, uh, something that can't be ignored and something that you can't do early enough. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming in, sharing your perspectives today. I think it's very sage advice. People spend so much time building these businesses and it doesn't take that much time to really plan a very, very successful exit of that business. And and in my experience, high 90s percent of people don't spend the time to 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 do yeah. that planning. And it's because it's planning, right? It's easy to push it off. And then all of a sudden something happens. So absolutely. Human yeah. Nature. Well, thank you so much for your trust, your confidence, spending the time today with all of us. The last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. And if you'd like to contact us here at Centura Wealth, it's at www.centurawealth.com, C-E-N-T-U-R-A, wealth.com. Thank you. Make today a great day. Speak to you soon. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 